you're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer, and I am very excited to be here today with the co-host of the Mason Brew podcast, Out of the Blue, Michigan sports connoisseur, and a man that's commonly been referred to as the second most attractive person in history with the nickname Storm, Jared Storm. How are you, my friend? Michael, good to be here, brother. Uh, can we go a little deeper on that? Who's got the number one ranking currently? Well, you know, Tyra Banks in, in X-Men, I think might mm. have you be, it was close, you know, I was I was doing my rankings pre-show, and, and Tyra just edged you out right at the end. It's Holly Berry, is it not? Oh, shoot. Oh, my God. Right off, the, right off the bat, you're upstaging me on my own podcast. Of course, it's Holly Berry. Yeah. But, but I'll, I'll happily I, take two on that one. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I tell you what, man. Um, I'm excited to have you on. We had Andy Bailey also with Mason Brew on. Uh, a month or two ago, and it was a blast, and I'm excited to get to know you. Yeah, man, excited to be here. Andy, also an elite guest, so I'll try to follow in his footsteps admirably. Well, let's jump right in. I'm going to test out a new segment, a very short and sweet segment with you, and we're going to call this, Is This Something? And very simply, you just have to answer and maybe defend your answer on whether or not this is something. Samaj Bridgman, one of our top linebacker recruits, quote tweeted the tweet of George Hilo getting uh, let go by Michigan, the current linebackers coach. And he said, are you kidding me with a question mark? So my, my initial reaction to that is, is this kid getting blindsided by the, by the, the linebacker coach move? And so I'm going to ask you, Jared, is this something? Well, I can't say it's nothing because in the era of transfers and NIL and just the mass exodus of players that we're seeing, you have to at least take this somewhat seriously. It's very easy for players to decide to either back out because he's not signed yet. He's not enrolled. He's committed, but not enrolled. So he could still back out of that. Now, that's not necessarily easy to do, and I'm not reporting that that's what he wants to do. But this was his primary recruiter. Now, there were a lot of people in the comments of that. I saw that tweet actually offering their support to Chris Partridge. And I was one of them. I was like, man, you, you don't know about this Chris Partridge guy. So I think there's an understanding that like, this was your primary recruiter. That's an unfortunate loss for him. But there's something to be excited about with Chris Partridge. So I think that it's probably just like you said, he was blindsided by it, didn't know that this was coming. It's always unfortunate when you build a relationship with a coach, you're expecting that to be your guy, and then he leaves. But Chris Partridge is more than capable, and I think that once he starts to dig into that, has some conversations with Partridge, with his family, I think things will be all right. This is a recruit you don't want to lose now. 6'2", four-star, I mean, the best linebacker recruit that we've got in the class. So he's an important get, and I think it'll be all right, but it's impossible to say it's nothing. It kind of just made me wonder, right? Like when, when these guys are making these moves, when Harbaugh and the coaching staff, they, when they decide that a move like this is going to happen, and we knew something was coming, right? Because Partridge, when he was added as a uh, like staff member, you know, we kind of knew somebody had to go for him to get plugged into his final position. And it just makes you wonder, uh, do they not 
call these recruits and say like, hey, you know, j- just so you know, the guy that you thought was going to be your coach might be moving on. Here's our plan. Don't worry about it. Or in this case, what appears to have happened is they called him after the fact. And and I've, I've seen some nice inspirational go blues uh, from Bridgman since then. So it leads me to believe that he is still firmly committed to Michigan. But uh, yeah, it kind of makes you wonder. Yeah, I also saw that tweet. So I think things are calming down a little bit. But as far as like what the standard is is of communication with these recruits, I have no idea. And I would probably believe something closer to how you described it, that there's probably not direct communication for everything, especially when a move hasn't been finalized yet. We didn't know uh, the people that are really tied in that I speak to didn't quite know exactly what was happening with George Hilo and Chris Partridge that just got finalized. So for all we know, this was very much a fluid situation. So I'm not going to speculate, even though that's kind of what we do over on our podcast is speculate wildly. I'll try to keep things within uh, what we know for sure here on your podcast. And, And we just don't know exactly what the level of communication would be. But I would guess that it's probably not immediate and complete communication with these recruits. Well, we're about 98% speculation on this podcast, so you don't have to worry about that at all. And, you know, you mentioned Chris Partridge, linebacker coach, that's official. Another move uh, that we all kind of expected came down the pipeline this week. It was Sharon Moore has been announced as the lone offensive coordinator. Uh, What do you think about that move? This is a tremendous move. The only concern would be, is he spread too thin, still being on the offensive line? We didn't hear anything. There was maybe some Grant Newsom is going to take over the offensive line duties chatter. Don't know if that's going to happen. Now, I assume Newsom will probably be more involved, but to what level? I don't know. But this is a home run. I mean, Sharon Moore has risen through the ranks. I think the players love him. The staff loves him. Michigan faithful love him. I mean, two Joe Moore awards. The, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. So I'm really excited about it. Matt Weiss maybe fell out of favor a little bit, and then he decided that he wanted to become like a late 90s hacker. And, uh, you know, <laughs> best of luck to him with wherever he goes. But onward and upward with Sharon Moore. And I think this is a home run, man. There was really nobody else that I had my eye on as like an immediate upgrade. So how do you feel about it? Oh, I love it. I love it. I mean, a guy that's destined to be a head coach at some point in his career absolutely deserves the job he's got you know back-to-back joe moore awards for the best offensive line in the country my concern was uh what you alluded to right is uh typically you don't see a guy coach the o-line and the and take the oc coordinator job um it's been done and i'm sure he can do it and and uh you mentioned the guy that i think is the the difference maker in this equation and that's grant newsom right grant newsom is probably the next off, uh, offensive line coach at Michigan, um, barring any kind of strange curveball. And so I think Newsom steps in, becomes a little bit more involved with the offensive line. And of course, the tight ends, uh, Sharon Moore, who has proven to be able to uh, call, you know, call an offense. With, but again, we don't really know that, that last year was strange with the Moore Weiss co uh, offensive coordinator position. We don't really know who was calling the plays and how that was coming down the pipeline, but it appears as though uh, this coaching staff has confidence in Sharon. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, for what we heard last year, um, you know, it was supposed to be a split with Sharon Moore primarily calling the runs, Matt Weiss calling the passes. That always seems strange to me, and I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for any game just to see how that actually worked in practice. 
but I much prefer the idea of one offensive coordinator. If I had my pick last year, I would have gone Sharon Moore over Matt Weiss just because of proof of concept that we had. So this is, it just makes sense. And I also love building out your coaching staff from guys that are in-house. I think that is a mark of a program that's got a great culture that has um, a talent tree that's being built. And I mean, the Harbaugh talent tree is a very, really real thing. If you go back and especially if you expand this to John Harbaugh, uh, they like to keep guys in house. They like to develop one from within and then share back and forth with mm-hmm. the Baltimore Ravens. So we've got a little bit of a tree going right here. I like that we're keeping it going with Sharon Moore, keeping it in house. This is going to be a good recruiting uh, tool as well, saying like, hey, we like to keep guys here. And that's not always been the case. We've lost some coaches here and there. Partridge, one of them, you know, he left for Ole Miss and then came back. But I think that when you can point to this to recruits and be like, yeah, look, I mean, this guy's likely going to be here for years and we're going to try and grow both him and you within this program. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Weiss and Moore splitting up the play calling. And I like to believe that they were playing rock, paper, scissors before every single play. And then just whoever won got the call. And Weiss, of course, must have been responsible for that Philly special against TCU because, you know, then we said goodbye to him. We, we, we staged a whole hacker conspiracy and, and got rid of him after that play call. That's elite gamesmanship right there. That's taking it next level where they're just <laughs> like, we need to get this guy out of here, but performance-based isn't going to work after that year. So what else do we got? Hacker? Like we got a hacking uh, scandal? <laughs> Let's throw that out there. Yeah, but I, I think I speak for both of us and all of Michigan Nation that we're really excited for Sharon Moore and it could not happen to a better guy. So um, you know, and he's got a great offense returning next year, so we'll see how it looks. Um, let's transition to what has periodically been the most depressing part of our show, but uh, today will be one of the more exciting parts of our show, Michigan basketball. We saw another Michigan basketball game that, that for the first, we'll call it three quarters, even though I know college basketball has halves, but we'll say the first three quarters of the game looked very similar to most Michigan basketball games. They were staying close against a quality competitor. They were making some mistakes, but they were looking good at times. And then uh, in that last little bit, they just they took over. Uh, they wore down the Spartans and, uh, you know, achieved victory, which was just amazing for a team that's been snatching defeat out of the jaws of victory all season to see them snatch victory out of the jaws of defeat was really uplifting. Um what are your initial thoughts on the game last night? Well, initially, I, I think I have to go to just the atmosphere. The environment last night in Chrysler Center was incredible. Um, everything that the university did to honor the victims of the shooting was was amazing. So as far as just the broadcast, it was the best broadcast of the year. And then as far as the performance from the team, arguably the most complete of the season. Like you mentioned, just the ability to close out a game when generally that has not been our forte. And to close it out when Jet Howard went out of the game with an ankle injury, he was pretty ineffective in this game. I think he was like one for seven from three. And, you know, we were we were counting on those three pointers, but we got production from other places there. So I was a little bit torn because I would have been all right dropping this game to Michigan State given, you know, just where they were coming from. But Michigan needed it as well. Both teams still fighting, hoping to cling on to a tournament berth here. And I was just very impressed. Uh, defensive rotations late were great. The ability to find a bucket. And normally in these games late, we're just unable to buy a bucket. Hunter Dickinson taking charge, hitting the three down the stretch. Kobe Bufkin with that three from the corner that looked just like an NBA three contested. And just, 
I'm a better player than you type of play. It was really encouraging, man, like almost too much. So I'm wondering if they're pulling me back down into the quicksand again, because now they got me believing again. That's exactly what my wife said to me last night. So it's a late game. We're getting ready for bed. We're, uh, you know, we're, we're watching this thing. And then I, you know, Michigan goes on that little run and I stand up and I'm celebrating in our bedroom. And she's like, oh God, here we go again. Cause she's seen me go from, uh, you know, it's over and yelling obscenities at the screen and you know, what the hell's going on to all we got to do is win out and we're going to make the tournament. So now we're back on the positive side of that swing. It's all we got to do is win out, uh, and we're going to make the tournament. Right. And, and so we got four games left. They're all against quality opponents. I I am a uh, helplessly and hopelessly optimistic Michigan fan, and I just always believe there's a chance. And so I'm hoping we can win these games, maybe go on a little run in the Big Ten tournament. Um, but basketball aside, I do want to circle back to what you mentioned. Uh, the atmosphere was incredible. Uh, the way that this university, from leadership all the way down to the fans, has supported our arch rival Michigan State um, after tragedy has just been uh, uplifting and it shows the humanness of what we're all doing here. Um, I think that it was the right move to honor Michigan State. I think it was uh, the way that it was done was classy. And then to go ahead and play a basketball game and compete, um, it, you know, it, it seems almost unimportant compared to what happened. But it was I know it was nice for the people involved to be able to to move on and, 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 you know, basically do what we all enjoy to do. And that's play sports and watch sports. And so uh, I agree with you. That was amazing. Um, and in addition to that, we got to see uh, a little bit of the 2013 uh, national runner up John Beeline, Trey Burke, Tim Hardaway, Jr. squad. Uh, it was really cool to have them in the building as well. Man, that was awesome. Hard not to get a little bit nostalgic and maybe like what could have been when you see John Beeline sitting over there. I mean, not to get on a, a diatribe about Juwan Howard, but I think a lot of us have kind of been looking backwards in time and looking at John Beeline even more favorably than we did. So seeing those guys in the house, just like, like you mentioned, man, all part of just the overall production. And you couple that with the hockey broadcast that was on the same day, which was god awful and unwatchable to go to that product was just like night and day and yeah i mean i i fully expected the, the university all the administration to do the right thing when it comes to just being a class act university level like university wide michigan does that time in time out so not surprising but just amazing to see and uh, got a little emotional watching that i'm sure i wasn't the only one yeah i'm going to run down my kind of player analysis on this one. We'll get into some X's and O's just a little bit here. Uh, Jet Howard goes down with another ankle injury, which that's a little concerning, right? That's his second second ankle injury that we've seen. This one seems a little bit more severe. Um, interesting stat uh, from Hunter Dickinson. Michigan was plus 20 with him in the game and on the floor. So in other words, for our listeners that might not know what I mean by that, Michigan actually gained 20 points on, on Michigan State uh, while Hunter Dickinson was on the floor. And so while it looked like Izzo had a, a master game plan to contain Dickinson, uh, he wasn't scoring a ton of points. He wasn't extremely effective. It was really hard to get him the ball. What happened was uh, that the double teams that that Dickinson was drawing opened things up for other guys to eat, and and those guys were Joey Baker, Doug McDaniel, Kobe Bufkin, um, 
it was nice to see those guys, uh, you know, cook a little bit. And, you know, we, t- we take a look at what Kobe Bufkin has been doing. He's been hitting some NBA draft boards, which is almost depressing as a Michigan fan, right? Like you, like you want guys to succeed and go on to the next level. Um, but with Kobe, uh, unless we miraculously go on a, a, a deep NCAA run here, it almost seems wasted if this guy, uh, if we don't get another season out of Kobe Bufkin, would you agree? Oh my gosh, I absolutely agree. And it also is going to look really bad if you don't make the tournament with two first round NBA draft picks on your team and Kobe Bufkin being one of the best two-way players out there. That is a rough, rough look. So very hopeful that we can bring Kobe Bufkin back. I mean, so much is wrong. You mentioned Dickinson earlier in that point who had a great game. I think he will come back. But if you lose Jet Howard, Kobe Bufkin, and you're an NIT team, that's a bad look for Juwan Howard, man. So just on multiple levels, uh, I hope Kobe Bufkin is just successful enough to be really good and look uh, like have a positive outlook for next year, but not get drafted. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Anthony Wright, Ant Wright, tweeted out this morning, uh, you know, we're six possessions away from being a five seed, right? And he's kind of right, right? You go into some of those games like Virginia, Purdue, Iowa, Indiana. It's like just a, the ball bounces a, a few different ways. We block out and get a few rebounds here and there. Um, and this team is is well into the tournament and maybe a high seed. So there's a lot of encouraging things going on. A guy that is not going to go pro next year that definitely has pro level potential is Terrace Reed. And boy, did he show up, uh, especially in the second half yesterday. Um, the sky is the limit for this guy. But I, I have one question for you on Terrace Reed, Jared. Who would, you ta- who would you take in this scenario? Percentage wise, my one-year-old daughter kicking field goals from the 50-yard line of the big house or Terrace Reed shooting free throws? Well, I haven't met your one-year-old daughter. I don't know what kind of leg she's got. So I'll go with Terrace Reed because I've seen proof of concept. He can make free throws. He's not great. He was 2 of 5 in this game. It's actually improved from early season where I think at one point he was shooting under 25% from the free throw line, which is ghastly. But that has improved. I think there was maybe some uh, some yips going on there. There's no way a collegiate level basketball player is going to shoot 25%. I mean, Ben Wallace, like you're in Ben Wallace, Ben Simmons <laughs> territory, like you can't really play that type of player because you're just going to hack him and send him to the free throw line. So I think that maybe that's going to come back around a little bit uh, now that he's getting more reps. Hopefully he can at least be like a 50% free throw shooter so that that, you know, hack a terrorist doesn't become the strategy. But yeah, I understand where your concern's coming from, man. It's, uh, it's not great. Yeah, and if, if anybody knows Terrace Reed that's listening out there, please don't, please don't play this clip for him. I, I love the guy. I, you know, I, and one day I want to be on good terms with him. So I'm sorry, Terrace, already for, for saying that. But I mean, it, it's a it's also real, massive. Yeah, yeah, he's a big dude. He's a big dude. Um, it's a real concern, though, right? It's like when you got a guy on the floor, you need him to make free throws. But I will admit uh, exactly what you mentioned. His free throw shooting has gotten a lot better. Uh, he banked one in last night, which, you know, you, you take what you can get. Uh, but it, it has indeed gotten a lot better. And this team has young talent. Um, be- before we move on from basketball, I just want to brainstorm something that I've been thinking about. So Jalen Llewellyn is technically still on the team. He's going to have another year of eligibility, we would, we would assume, right, with such an early injury. 
Um, if you're Jawan, how do you manage that? Because to me, it looks like Doug McDaniel has earned the right to be a four-year starter at Michigan. His size will probably prevent him from going to the NBA, you know, anytime early. And uh, it, it, it appears as though he's the answer at the point guard position for us. But then you've got this guy, Jalen Llewellyn, just uh, waiting in the wings. How, how would you manage that? Yeah, that's a great question. And you got to look at the Frankie Benedict Collins, the turncoat example as well <laughs> as, you know, maybe Doug McDaniel doesn't want to get pushed to the bench, especially after he's had a taste of the starting role. So this is a difficult situation that you've got to kind of navigate here and, and the waters might be a little bit murky. What I would do being is how my entire job, like if I'm Juwan Howard rests on what I do next year, I'm going to go ahead and say, we probably don't make the tournament this year. So that means the seat warms up next year becomes huge. I want to keep both guys. So I'm probably promoting Doug McDaniel to the starter and asking Jalen Llewellyn if he wants to come off the bench. If he says no, if he's not up for that transfer again and, and look to the transfer portal or, you know, plan on starting one of your freshmen next year. I think we it's George Washington the third. It's definitely a president's name that we've got coming <laughs> in at the guard position. Who's a little bit bigger. So that's an option as well. If you can keep Kobe Bufkin, that guy can run some point for you at 6'4". I mean, it wouldn't be a traditional point guard, but you can get a little bit weird with it. I personally would do everything I can to keep Doug McDaniel, which there's some recency bias here because I was, you know, maybe undetermined about how I felt about Doug McDaniel, but last night was an incredible showing from him. And I agree, man. I think that alone, the growth that he's shown, he deserves a chance at the starting role next year. How do you see it? Oh, I love I love little Dougie Fresh, man. I love his energy. I, I even love his mistakes, you know? Like sometimes he gets he's like a puppy. You know, he gets a little excited and he kind of he makes a mistake and it's like, oh, it's okay, man. Like you, you know, you're out there, like he's giving energy, he's he's active. Uh He's undersized and he's still getting rebounds. He he's deceivingly good at long range jump shots too, because he he kind of plays the point guard position like a guy you would expect to not have a good jump shot. And maybe that's just Xavier Simpson like lingering in my in my mind at that position. But um, yeah, I think you got to give Doug McDaniel the, the the starting spot moving forward. And and. Uh, can you imagine losing Frankie Collins and Doug McDaniel because favoring uh, Jalen Llewellyn as a as a transfer? You just can't do that, right? That would be an indictment on the program for sure. If you lose another point guard, I mean, that's the position. If you if you could pick one, I have to imagine that would be the one you want stability at the guy, the engine of your offense. So to have to bring in a new point guard each and every year, there's an adjustment period at the beginning of the season. And these seasons are much shorter than an NBA season. You don't have that many games to get into a groove. So I would not want to start over again next year. And yeah, man, what's not to love about Doug? The audacity to spell your name D-U-G. It's like a puppy's <laughs> name, too. Like, And he just owns it, carries it. Uh, Xavier Simpson, you mentioned him. I do think he needs to get like a little bit more consistent with either a hook shot, a push shot, a running floater, because he's just not a big dude. I don't anticipate some growth spurt at this point. So finding ways that he can attack the basket and get some sort of semi-high percentage shot up, I think is going to be the next step for his growth. And if he gets that, like, go ahead and bring in the hook shot. The Jeff Jackson hook shot was delightful to watch. If he can get something like that, I think that you've got a Big Ten point guard next year and a good one at that. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So we're hanging on to a little bit of hope. It, it, it appears as though currently we are NIT bound, but uh, there's still a chance. And so uh, we will 
be here watching Michigan basketball and rooting for them every step of the way. Um, a few few big games coming up uh, to end the regular season. And then, of course, the Big Ten tournament. Um, I'm going to transition back to a little bit of football here. We've got I, I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, former Michigan quarterback David Cohn, and I wanted to share that as part of the podcast. So I'm going to cut away and let you guys listen to this amazing David Cohn interview from earlier in the week, and we'll be right back. Welcome, everybody, to a Wolverine Chronicle exclusive interview. And I am so excited to be here with former University of Michigan quarterback, co-host of the Crane and Company sports media show, and a guy that's been known to regularly kick innocent children off of his lawn, David Cohn. What's up, man? How you doing? Usually I try and kick people off my lawn who are not so innocent, but uh, you know we'll, we'll take that. I'm doing quite well. I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, go blue. Man, go blue. And you know we appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, this morning I woke up and did what every self-respecting American should do. I, I turned on Crane and Company, and you, you know I, I did it just in the nick of time because to my surprise, um, you guys were interviewing Michigan legend and Super Bowl champion, Chad Henney, who happens to be an old friend of yours. How was that uh, catching up with Chad? That was fantastic. Chad was like a big brother to me for a long time. Uh, as I said on today's show, there was a time when I thought, you know, I was, I was a pretty good quarterback, and then I played with Chad, and he was the best that I ever saw do it. So to watch him be a two-time Super Bowl champion now, have a 15-year NFL career, I'm so happy for all the success that he has had. And, uh, you know, I was pretty torn on the Super Bowl because obviously I played with Chad. Like I said, he was a big brother to me on the Kansas City Chiefs side. But then Brandon Graham, who was uh, who was like a brother to me as well because he was in my same class. You know, I wanted him to do well. The good thing was both of them already had a Super Bowl ring. So that made it a little bit easier. And hopefully we can catch up with Brandon here next week or the week after. But as for Chad, I'm just so proud of the career that he's had. He's done it at the highest level for a long time. So I would encourage everyone to go check out our interview today with Chad Henney. Yeah, it was excellent contact uh, content. And correct me if I'm wrong, you were also in a quarterback room with uh, Nick Sheridan. Is that right? That's correct. Nick, Nick is a very good friend of mine. And again, the same point that I made with Brandon Graham, Nick Sheridan is my age. So as tight-knit of a group as the, the, the football locker room already is, uh, that that um, closeness is exacerbated when you're talking about your class, because those guys, you know, you come in together, you spend four years together, five years together in many cases. And look, your freshman season, it's it's the, the job of the older guys, the upperclassmen to sort of rag you and to, to get you into shape. And so that forms even a closer brotherhood. So Nick Sheridan was in my class. Brandon Graham was in my class. Obviously, my roommate and our kicker. Um, from Michigan, Brian Wright was my roommate for four years. I'm not sure how Brian put up with me for four consecutive years as a roommate, <laughs> but um, you know, hats off to him, and I love those guys. Yeah, Nick's brother Joe Sheridan is a really close friend of mine, so it's a small world. That's why I that's why I, I asked Joe. about I Nick. Joe. Oh yeah. So uh, you know, take me back to freshman season. You're throwing the winged helmet on. There's 110 plus thousand people in the stands, you know, screaming. The Go Blue banner goes up. 
you walk out of the tunnel that's now named after your former coach Lloyd Carr. Yes. Um, and and you, and you take the field for the first time. What was that like? Well, it's truly a surreal experience. I mean, think about even further back than that, the state championship game my senior year, which was packed out in a college football stadium, Georgia Southern University, my hometown in Statesboro there. That was 17,000 plus, you know, I think is is the crowd. Well, you're talking about another 100,000 on top of that. Forget all of the people watching on television. That's just 115 to, you know, 117,000 plus people watching you right there in the moment. It is truly incredible. And you're talking about that freshman year. Mostly, I was standing on the sidelines holding a clipboard trying to help Chad Henney be the best quarterback that he could be and help us win a lot of football games. And that year, we made it all the way to number two in the country. You know, that was the number one versus number two year against Ohio. We fell, uh, we fell just short. We ended up going to California to play in the Rose Bowl, which was my first time out there in the state of California. And that was a that was a phenomenal experience as well, even though we were matched up with a very tough USC team. But to run out of the big house and then my sophomore year being able to actually take my first snap in a game against Notre Dame, my father was in the stands. Russell Crowe gave us the gladiator pregame speech right before that contest. We won 38 to nothing. Those are some moments that I'll never forget. Speaking of moments that you'll never forget, I mentioned that the tunnel is now named after your former coach, Lloyd Carr. And, you know, I'm not going to pass up an opportunity to ask, do you have any, uh, you know, memorable Lloyd Carr moments or little nuggets that you can (laughs) share with us about about what a, you know, a legendary Michigan leader? Mm, mm, I have plenty. I have plenty. But in terms of his leadership, you know, I remember one night, uh, it probably was my 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 sophomore year, uh, first year traveling with the team on away games, and he comes into every player's room the night before a game when we're staying at the hotel, and he he walks into our room, and I stick out my hand. You know, we're in a a cramped little hotel room. He's walking by. I stick out my hand to to shake his hand and say good night, and he looks at me and he just walks right past my teammate on the on the other bed. I thought, man, what is what did I do to Coach Carr? You know, <laughs> well, he doubles back and he looks at me and he says, "Never shake a man's hand when you're sitting down." And so, you know, quickly you understand, even even in a cramped hotel room, stand up, shake Coach Carr's hand, tell him good night. And uh, he was truly, a, you know, a father figure uh, to not only me but to to that entire team. And you see a lot of different type of coaches, right? You have some CEO types like that, some father figure types, some you know, some guys who are very um, you know, schematically based, you know, on the offensive or defensive side. But I always look at Coach Carr as a a leader of men and as a mentor, and I'm so happy that I got to play for him. I mean, the most iconic moment now, that's that's a very personal moment, but the most iconic moment now for for, uh, myself as it relates to Coach Carr is most likely his final game, you know, in the uh, the Citrus Bowl uh, against Florida. As the uh, as the water in the Gatorade is being poured on Coach Carr, I was shaking hands with him in that moment. So I get a lot of people every time that clip runs on television uh, reaching out to me. So that was that was very interesting, and I'm proud to say that I was there for for the finality of Coach Carr's career. Hey, I remember that like it was yesterday. What an amazing Michigan moment to be a part of. And you mentioned he was like a father figure to you. Uh, speaking of father figures. It's my understanding that you're the newest member of the Girl Dad Club. Is that correct? That is true. Even though my colleague Matt Walsh here at the Daily Wire has said I should refrain from using the term girl dad 
he says, you're just a dad, you know? So I guess that's his way of telling me to get off his lawn. Um, but <laughs> that point aside, yes, I am. My daughter, Ava, is three weeks old today, as a matter of fact, and I have an 18-month-old son as well. So, uh, you know, being present for my wife to, to give birth to both of my children and, uh, you know, just again here three weeks ago, it was nothing short of a miracle. She's amazing. and I'm, I'm just so fortunate and we're blessed as a family. Well, you know, you just gain so much respect for women when you see what they go through with the pregnancy and the labor. Yes. And, the, and then you have a daughter. And so I, my daughter is about to turn one, my daughter Hudson. That's why I ask. And, you know, it's kind of a good segue to something that you guys on, on Crane & Co. have been have really been talking about and shedding some light on recently. Uh, there's a story that's been making headlines. Uh, Leah Thomas is a swimmer that's been competing uh, nationally in, in college swimming, formerly known as Will Thomas, still a biological man is my understanding, shattering records, winning national championships, standing on the podium um, as a trans individual. Now, let me be the first to say before I even ask you this question, um, everybody should be respected. And I think that you would agree with me on that, that even trans individuals need to be respected. Absolutely. But, but allowing a biological man to compete in women's sports, it feels like we've gone a little bit too far, doesn't it? Well, when you talk about the respect factor, which I'm glad you brought up, that's one of the good things about living your life the right way. And I feel like I have a large enough sample size now in my life with having, you know, executed a lot of different endeavors like you're talking about, um, you know, playing college football now on a, on a national sports show and a lot of things in between, um, which included running a video production company and playing music. I have hired and employed transgender individuals in my past um, because they had a skill set that I needed. And so I 100% agree with you. No one is advocating, at least no one that we are having direct communication with has ever advocated for any persecutory actions against anyone for, for their personal beliefs like that. But yes, a hard line needs to be drawn in the sand. We are talking about saving women's sports. We do not need men standing on podiums and hoisting trophies that are designed for women athletes. And to take that a step further, we absolutely do not need men in locker rooms with our daughters and our sisters. And to me, the issue is as easy as don't push your grandmother down in the street. And, and, and to, so to us here at Crane and & Company and at The Daily Wire, it is not a controversial issue. This, this is just a, a truth and a reality. It seems like there are other factions of our population that want to make it controversial. Senator Tommy Tupperville came on our show this week, and I thought he phrased it quite well. He said 10% uh, of the population is holding the other 90% hostage. And, and, you know, I think that that must stop. And again, you know, just to sandwich it um, from, from your point at the beginning, you know, as long as we can, can attack this issue in a respectful way and understand that there, there is no persecutory or discriminatory actions that, that um, must be taken against these individuals, then I think that most Americans are on our side here. And this is an issue that we can push back on and we can hold the NCAA and we can hold the university system writ large accountable for this, uh, these egregious actions. I couldn't agree more. You know, it was just gut wrenching when y'all were interviewing uh, that young swimmer the other day. And I, I, I'm sorry, her name escapes me. Yeah, and I and I would like for her to be at the forefront of this. So her name is Riley Gaines, and I would Riley Gaines. Or, uh, Riley Gaines. She was a swimmer at the University of Kentucky 
one of the fastest females to get into a swimming pool. And I would encourage everyone to follow along with her journey. And I just, you know, she sat right here in this studio and she shared, you know, some some facets of that situation with us that just absolutely shocked us. You know, I mean, even to the point where she tied, she, she defied the odds and tied Leah Thomas and the trophy was still not awarded to her. And uh, to me, that's unacceptable. And that's clearly not, you know, that that is not just some random action from a rogue representative in the moment. That That is indicative of a philosophy that the NCAA has and some of our longest standing institutions have. So everyone, please go listen to Riley Gaines's story because it's fantastic. And she is a very brave and courageous individual. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and, and when you guys were talking and she shared that that uh this biological male now trans individual leah thomas was actually undressing in the locker room with all of these women and and a lot of these women have sexual trauma they may have mental health issues associated with men and for for young college athletes to be exposed to that um I, i i agree it's an issue and thank you guys for shedding light on it because quite frankly the media shies away from this topic and and it does feel calculated like there's an agenda and so the more that we can talk about this openly respectfully um i i think america really appreciates that well thank you for your support because that means a lot too and like i said while for me personally and to us on this show and the daily wire as a company this issue is not controversial just yeah. as it wasn't for almost every single person alive merely 10 years ago or when i was in college wearing the maize and blue well it's not controversial for us there are a lot of people who are being held hostage and not allowed to speak up and say what they truly feel uh, because hey just like you just mentioned kids a lot of people need to put food on the table and they are working for companies that are using silencing tactics against them so when you reach out and 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 you support what we're doing it really means a lot and it it proves to us that this is a fight we can win so let's go ahead and transition to sports because that's what you and i would prefer to be talking about i'm (laughs) sure uh before before you get going today i gotta ask any bold predictions for the 2023 michigan wolverine football team National champions are bust, Michael. I mean, has to be at this point. (laughs) JJ for Heisman, Natty, right? Like, there's, there's no other way, right? Anything short of that would be a disappointment. Oh man, I really, I, you know, I went back and forth. I had several different leaders on the Heisman, uh, on my Heisman Trophy board throughout the season, including CJ Stroud up there near the top for for much of the season. Even though it's tough to give a a guy a Heisman Trophy when he doesn't have as good of a season as he had the year prior which I think you could say for C.J. Stroud. Now, obviously, what he did against the University of Georgia after the trophy was was presented was uh, nothing short of amazing. But I say all that to say Blake Corum had made his way to the very top, not just the top five, but the very top of my list um, right there before his injury. And I still thought he had a had a shot to a win, to win the award. So undoubtedly, you know, he should have been in New York. Um, But that that is what it is. We returned JJ McCarthy, and um, I think that this will certainly be Jim Harbaugh's best opportunity to move forward and to win a national championship. Now, when Jim Harbaugh was on the hot seat there, following the COVID year, what I'm most proud of is that Coach Harbaugh embraced that. Uh, you know, he said he said the job I've done hasn't been good enough. It's not good enough 
not to meet my biggest rival. It's not good enough to have a losing record against my next biggest rival. It's not good enough to not have made the college football playoff and not to have won the Big Ten. So he embraced that. They went to an incentive-based contract, right? And then all of a sudden he makes the college football playoff and wins the Big Ten back-to-back seasons. It is truly incredible. I'm so proud of what this this team was able to accomplish with the 13 wins this past year. Uh, We got to sit down with Ronnie Bell uh, when he was at the Senior Bowl. I believe it was week before last, and he said some some great things about Coach Harbaugh. So now I think it's time, uh, very similar to the way the University of Georgia couldn't get over that Alabama hump and breakthrough, and finally they did after they had sort of gotten there and knocked on the door for a bit. Well, now Jim Harbaugh has proven he can beat his biggest rival. He's done it back-to-back. He he can win the Big Ten. He can make the college football playoff. And now you're looking at a great opportunity where Georgia does not return a starting quarterback. Alabama does not return a starting quarterback. Ohio does not return their starting quarterback. So to me, I think the expectation needs to be national champions, and the University of Michigan should never shy away from that. You wanted to know about Coach Carr earlier? Well, I'll tell you, as I sat there in Schimbeckler Hall as a freshman, None of us were afraid to say, even me as an 18-year-old, that our goal for the season is to win the national title. So I hope this team feels the same as we head into the fall. You got me ready to run through a brick wall, and it's, it's still the offseason. Uh, you know, you guys are doing great work on uh, Crane and Company. Anybody listening or watching this in- interview, definitely go check those guys out. It's, it's just must-see content. But is there anything else you're working on uh, that people should know about? We're working on a lot of stuff, yes. But, you know, the the biggest way that people can support us is tune into our daily show at 7.30 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 90 minutes every day. Um, Obviously, you can uh, become a member uh, at the at dailywire.com all access member will get you an extra bonus hour uh, every single week with us at Crane and Company and will give you access to all of the articles and the behind the scenes stuff that we're doing um, so please check us out there and obviously on all social media platforms uh, Twitter Instagram and the like uh, I'm at David Adam Cohn which today was a big moment for me I have to say five minutes before I came on here uh, World Series champion David Cohn followed me on Twitter and as someone for 35 <laughs> years who had, has had to listen every time I introduce myself uh, to people say, oh, David Cohn, like the baseball pitcher. I mean, pretty much to the point where I've had to introduce myself as David Cohn, not the pitcher, you know, for him to not only acknowledge my existence, but pretty much prove that the sports world is big enough to have two David Cones. I, I, I think we're borderline best friends at this point. Well, congratulations on earning your place in the David Cohn sports world. Um, let's, let's circle back, uh, football season and talk a little bit and hopefully we'll be undefeated and on our way to a natty. Thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it and go blue. Go blue. All right. And we're back. Uh, it was amazing to have David, uh, take the time to talk to me, uh, what they're doing on crane and company, uh, is pretty cool and amazing. If you guys don't watch that show, uh, definitely look it up on YouTube. They're streaming every single morning. Uh, take a look at Crane and Company and and uh, give it a listen. Uh, but I am back with my man uh, Jay Storm here on the Big House Bleachers podcast. And Jared, we have a little segment that we like to call Sheesh. And th- th- we've been doing this for a little while here. And 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 the the basis of this is pretty simple. We look back at the week or or even the month or whatever of of, of sports, Michigan sports, sports in general. And we like to bring up what made us say, Sheesh. 
So as our guest, I'm going to let you do the honors. What you got for me this week? All right. So last night I tuned in to some NBA All-Star Weekend uh, shortly after the Michigan game concluded. Wanted to watch the dunk contest. And, you know, there was a, a sheesh in there that like a five foot ten white boy won the dunk contest. That counts as a sheesh. But uh, how about a negative one? The good people of Salt Lake City. It's time to move on from Carl Malone. We're not going to litigate exactly why I don't like Carl Malone. You can just <laughs> Google it. Just go ahead and give Carl Malone a quick Google. And uh, and investigate what that guy did when he was in college. And, uh, you know, I get it. He, he's got some accolades there in Utah, arguably the most important sports figure that they've ever had in that state. But, uh, you know, maybe we can just go ahead and cancel this guy. Not a big cancel culture guy. Somebody some people need to be canceled. Carl Malone's among them. So uh, sheesh, Utah, let's uh, let's do better. I'm going to give you a double here. Carl Malone. Sheesh. And Mac McClung. Sheesh! The first ever positive and negative sheesh on the Big House Bleachers podcast. We're setting records over here. Um, and you know what, Utah? You still got John Stockton. I mean, come on. That, you know, that that's enough, right? Maybe uh, <laughs> Also not great, but I mean, less problematic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. We'll, we'll move on from, from the Utah Jazz situation here. For me this week... Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw a disclaimer out th- out, he- out here. Um, I have no idea if this video is real or not. We're in the day of an age of of Photoshop, AI, uh, you know, video editing. I don't even know what's real anymore at this point. Uh, Jared, you could be a hologram, and I'm just talking to a simulation. I don't even really know. But there's a video of DK Metcalf that hit the interweb this week. And I don't know if you've seen this, but in this video, he's passing a football back and forth. And then he just he points up to the sky like, like, give me a high one. And he jumps straight up in the air, uh, like an inhuman distance. Like he looks like he's floating. He snags one out of the air, comes back down to the ground. So DK Metcalf. Sheesh. And I have no idea if that video is real. And so if it's not, I'm just going to look like an idiot here. But I, that's a risk I'm willing to take because if it's real, I mean, it's the most athletic uh, vertical leap I've ever seen in my life. Bro, we're like 48 hours after that and no one knows yet. We don't have a definitive answer if that's real <laughs> or not. But it reminds me, do you remember the old NFL commercials where they edited them to make them look like people were jumping over the moving cars? Or like, uh, I forget who it was, threw his own pass up and then ran and caught it. And they all looked real. And like now the technology is there. So who knows, man? You could just recreate an entire game and and tell me that it was real. And I would not be able to tell. But I hope that was real. I want to believe. That was insane. Yeah, I uh, I think it was I think it was Michael Vick in one of those commercials. They were, they yeah. showed him like he was like throwing a ball out of the stadium. And it just looked, yeah, it looked so real. Yeah. Um, all right. I don't know if anybody has some Intel on that, uh, please DM me, let me know. I don't know if you can like zoom in on parts of the video to show that it's real or not real, but we, we need to know the world must know. Can DK Metcalf fly? And if he can, uh, he needs to be wearing a cape at all times. That's just my, that's my request. He at least needs to talk to the FAA if that's just going to be a regular occurrence. And like, why aren't, if that's your wide receiver, why aren't you just lofting the ball 40 feet in the air every single time? It's unguardable. You make a good point, Jerry. It's like, do you need a permit? Like, I feel like you need a permit to do, to do what he's doing, to, to be in right. the airspace like that. 
Uh, all right. Well, there's a few things in life that are for certain. Uh, death, taxes, and people love free shit. So one thing that I did this week was I, I posted a little giveaway, and I want to announce the winner of it. We're, we're giving away a real cool Michigan shirt for any new subscriber to the podcast, and uh, I'd like to announce the winner. Thank you all for participating, and thank you all for listening. The winner is, drumroll, Philip S. Moore. Uh, Twitter handle at WolverineNTN. I'm assuming that's Tennessee. At Wolverine in Tennessee. So, Philip, congratulations. DM me. Get yourself your free t shirt. Uh, we're, we are very grateful that you are uh, listening and grateful for everybody that subscribed. Um, all right, man. Time to get back to a little football, which I think is, is the bread and butter of what we do. I mean, our podcast is named after the big house, after all. Uh, it's the off season. So one of the, one of the best things to do in the off season, in my opinion, is to debate and argue and sometimes try almost fist fight over random lists. Right. And, and this week I've asked you to come prepared with your top five Michigan wide receivers of all time. I've got mine ready to go. And it gets really hard because it's, it, you almost have to mention like 10 honorable mentions when you have these conversations. Cause there's just so many, um, I saw that you and Andy did a uh, all-time uh, Jim Harbaugh squad on on your podcast recently, and I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. I have no Jim Harbaugh wide receivers on my list. I, it's just too hard to get a guy like DPJ or Nico, or I, I think the closest might be Ronnie Bell. But to me, those guys don't make the list. Um, let's go ahead and count them down five to one. We'll go back and forth and and build a little bit of suspense here. Uh, Jared, who is your number five greatest Michigan wide receiver of all time? All right. I've got Maurice Ways. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Definitely not Maurice Ways. Um, starting with five, I think this is where you probably need to do some of your honorable mentions because I had like a three-way tie at number five. I had uh, Jason Avant, David Terrell, and Amani Toomer as guys that I'm looking at here. I think I'm going to go with David Terrell as my number five. Played 1998 to 2000, uh, number five in career receiving yards. He had uh, nine 100 yards game, 100 yard games, Orange Bowl MVP, multiple 1,000 yards receiving uh, in 99 and 2000. Really, really just a solid, uh, dependable wide receiver. I vaguely remember him playing i was like six years old when he like made it to the nfl so i have some david terrell memories but the highlights still hold up and really dependable for a fun era of michigan football i got him at five and one of the many receivers that wore uh, number one at michigan right this list is riddled with individuals that wore the number one uh david terrell's shining moment that i remember is i want to say it was a three touchdown game against alabama um in the i think orange, bowl. orange bowl yeah yeah in the orange bowl so that that was amazing he is also my number five receiver and you know what our lists might be identical if they were this is like a little litmus test to see if we're if ball we're knowers. The, the yeah ball knowers exactly um i'll mention my honorable mentions afterwards just in case any of them land higher on your list so who is your number four greatest michigan wide receiver of all time uh, at number four, I have Mario Manningham. Got his picture behind me. First jersey I ever wore. You could make an argument this is too high. You could say Amani Toomer should be above Mario Manningham. 
And maybe it's recency bias, but this is one of the guys that got me into watching Michigan football. Uh, I mean, he himself defeated Penn State in 2005, 1,100 yards receiving his junior year, which was third highest in Michigan history at the time. Uh, 27 uh, touchdown passes in his college career, and that's four all time. So uh, I guess that, you know, is why I chose him at number four. I mean, the, the proof is in the pudding there. Yeah, I think we all think of that that amazing, you know, Penn State last second catch. But Mario Manningham was a beast consistently uh, throughout his career and, and then went on to have a, a really great postseason career in, in the NFL as well. Um, he is also my number four wide receiver. Um, and, and so, yeah, our lists, yeah, they might, I think we're going to have the same top three, but it, the order might be different. That That's what we're going to find out here. So who's number three on your list? Oh, this one was hard. I want to put him higher, but I just value some of the, uh, the accolades above him, but I've got Braylon Edwards at number three. There's an argument for any of the next three at number one, I think. And this maybe is where we differentiate. But this dude, it, like no one's catching some of his records. Like he's, what is it, 500 yards above the next guy? He's got 3,500 receiving yards at Michigan, 39 touchdowns. That's a Big Ten record. Uh, his senior year, he had 97 receptions, 1,300 receiving yards. Just an absolute beast. We're talking eye tests. We're talking stats. Um, I enjoyed watching Braylon Edwards about as much as I can remember enjoying watching anyone could absolutely dominate and take over a game at the wide receiver position. You put him on this team with J.J. McCarthy, I think those numbers possibly are even more than they were with Chad Henney, who was an awesome quarterback. But I've got Braylon at number three. Where do you have him? I know he's on there for you. I'm not going to disclose where he's at yet because I don't want to spoil it for the listeners, but they, they can probably infer here. This is absolutely where we differ. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like no matter who of these top three guys you put in the number three position – somebody's going to throw tomatoes at your face and tell you to get off the stage, right? Because we all, we all view these guys uh, similarly. Um, for me, I actually have as our third best wide receiver of all time, Heisman Trophy winner Desmond Howard. And I know a lot of people would be like, oh, he's got to be number one. He's got to be number one. And I can't argue with that. If somebody says Desmond Howard's the greatest wide receiver in Michigan history, I can't argue. He's the only guy that's won the Heisman. I hear you. But, you know, if I was making the list of the greatest players in Michigan history, Dez might might top these other two guys. He had the the electric season where he had like 21 touchdowns. He had uh, big plays late in the game. And, and then, of course, his uh, kick return abilities played a huge factor. And so I, I'm not really factoring in the kick returns into the wide receiver conversation. So for me... He lands firmly at number three as uh, you know, strictly the greatest wide receiver in Michigan history. But you got it number two. Yeah, I mean, and that's great to follow up on your Desmond Howard point there. Uh, and if we're not taking in the kick returns, punt returns, I think that that's a key point that you made there as well. Um, so worth mentioning. At number two, I've got Anthony Carter, 1979 to 82. Uh, playing in a different era, so the numbers that he put up, I think you need to put like a little asterisk next to him. The fact that he had that level of dominance in the 70s and 80s where just it wasn't really a pass-happy attack. Um, so he was para Big Ten championship, All-American three times, second Wolverine that was a three-time All-American ever, Big Ten player of the year in 82. Uh, he was a team captain. 
And then he had a 14-year NFL career. I wasn't around for any of this, so this is all just based on highlights and stats, but he has to be in your top three. Yeah, he's also my number two wide receiver, uh, Anthony Carter. And it, it's a little tough to, to evaluate uh, receivers or quarterbacks, right, that played pre-1990 versus the guys that play now because the game has just changed so much. And, and uh, it speaks to how good some of these receivers were when they are able to uh, – you know, get as many yards and touchdowns as they did. You mentioned he was a, a three-time All-American. And in my opinion, when you when you look at the greatest receivers of all time at Michigan, you just got to bring this guy up. Uh, no matter how you feel about the way the game was played back then, um, this guy deserves to be in anybody's top three. Yeah, 100%. And I really wrestled with Braylon Edwards and Anthony Carter one and two. And I just probably went with the more historical greatness. I know like a lot of Wolverine historians really ride for Anthony Carter. So yeah. I didn't want to ruffle the feathers of the boomers out there that are like, Oh no, no, no. You got to remember that 79 season. Well, I don't, I'm not. Old <laughs> enough, and um, who, who you got in your top I'm, spot using my context clues. I got a feeling that it's a gentleman that, that struck a pose. Yes. And that's Eddie McDoom. Uh, no, no, it's, <laughs> It's Desmond Howard at number one, friend of the podcast. Part of this is uh, I've spoken with Des a couple times and just like him as a dude, but then the accolades are also there to back it up. I don't necessarily need to just go out on a limb here to say that he's number one. Any one of these three, I think the top three, you can make a compelling case for, but I'm just going to go with the Heisman season. I'm going to go with big plays and big moments. Um, I mean, just the gamesmanship. I'm a huge fan of that. When the lights are brightest, who shows up? And he certainly did that. Um, so I know who your number one is, though, obviously. But if I could pose it this way, if you could take one receiver for next year all time and you get him in their prime, who are you taking to add to the Wolverines team next year? Braylon Edwards, and it's not even a question. I mean, when you got a guy that's tall and athletic and just brings down anything you throw within a six-foot radius of him, um, I mean, honestly, that that is – the only gripe I would have about the Michigan offense currently, right, is that we're missing that guy. Even a Nico Collins would have been just a game changer on uh, last year's team. And so for me, of course, Braylon Edwards is my number one. Um, he, he holds a special place in my heart. Uh, it's a little easier to love these guys when you vividly remember watching every one of their games. And so I, I, I was alive when Des was playing, but I do not remember watching him uh, in college. And of course I don't remember watching Anthony Carter, but I still feel very strongly that, that Braylon Edwards should be considered the greatest wide receiver in Michigan history, because I mean, you know, you just look at the pinnacle per performances that he had, like the three touchdown game against Michigan state, but he was doing that consistently his entire career I, I would go on out on a limb and say he's one of the greatest wide, college wide receivers um, in history I mean he, he's right up there with the best I can't really push back too much on that and I also fully agree if I can get one of these guys to add to next year it's Braylon Edwards like running away with it just the physicality um, that's a notch two notches above Desmond and Anthony Carter for what he could do and yeah, that's a little bit bold. I like it. Throwing some heat on the take for one of the best um, of all time. This is problematic, though. If he's one of the best of all time, that means Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State 
has to be on that list is too, because that's like a guy that he reminds me of is that collegiate level of dominance. Like nobody else can, can hang with this guy. looks like he could have played in the NFL last year. And Braylon Edwards, when you're watching him, like, yeah, this guy would go get numbers in the NFL. So that's, that's spicy. I like it, man. Come in here with the heat. Yeah. And you know, I did zero research. And so if I started to really list him out, who knows, he might be 10 or 12 or something. Like I, I don't really know I, off the top of my head. I always think of guys like, uh, Larry Fitzgerald at Pittsburgh. You got uh, Randy Moss. Randy Moss at Marshall might, might be number one. I mean, he would have won the Heisman any other year if he wasn't going against Charles Woodson and Peyton Manning. And then I remember like AJ Smith. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, Demonte Smith, AJ Green at Georgia back in the day. Like there, there's Calvin Johnson, Georgia Tech. Ooh, ooh. Okay, Calvin is up there as well. So um, that's an interesting conversation. Uh, be fun. You know who I wanted to throw on my list, and I just couldn't for Michigan. It was uh, Marquise Walker. I think I feel like Mark. He's he's just a uh, you know a slept on wide receiver when we when we talk about the Michigan greats. And so I had Amani Toomer, who you mentioned, Derek Alexander, Ty Streets, uh, Jeremy Gallon, even uh, played in yeah. that that interesting you know the years where the team was not great, but he was just racking up uh, big plays, and then of course. I think Ronnie Bell is the one Jim Harbaugh guy that you at least have to include in the discussion, but you you just can't get him in the top five. Couldn't get there with Ronnie Bell, and I think if you're making an argument for him, it's like the team captain, the leadership aspect, what he meant. We we just got robbed of a really great Ronnie Bell season last year. I think that if he would have played and put up, say, 750 yards receiving and six touchdowns or something like that, he firmly enters that conversation. Uh, Jason Avant and Steve Breston were two other names that I tossed around. Avant maybe gets to you a little bit closer with some of his accolades, but just like all-time fun team to watch, Avant, Breston together. And like I'm pretty sure that Manningham and Edwards were all there at the same time at one point. So Not, like, only, the- not only those four, but a man by the name of Adrian Arrington was on a team with them too. So I, I feel like those that, that – the, that receiver room, right? Braylon, J- Jason Avant, Steve Breston, Mario Manningham, Adrian Arrington. They weren't all in their prime, of course, because they were different right. classes. But, I mean, my God, what a what a receiver room that was. Man, that was the all-time loaded one. And I thought we had the second coming of it when we had Nico Collins, yeah. DPJ, Tariq Black. Ronnie Bell was there, too. I'm like... Here we go. Like it's happening again. Didn't quite pan out that way, but no, I fully agree. Best that's ever suited up at Michigan at one time. Well, it appears as though you know ball. Um, so let, let's let's go ahead and get you back on the podcast when football season rolls around, man. I would love to talk about uh, how Michigan is undefeated and we're just killing it. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the podcast which is amazing out of the blue you and andy do a great job every week i listen to the desmond howard interview uh it's just an all-around like one of the best if not the best michigan podcasts out there so i would encourage everybody to listen to that part of the uh sb nation uh family is that right for now yeah yeah we'll (laughs) talk in a couple in a couple months here about that but yeah yeah for now we're over on mazenbrew.com catch us on spotify apple music all that good stuff Amazing. And is there anything else that you're working on? I want to give you a chance to shamelessly plug anything that you got going on. 
Yeah, man. So there's some big things coming for us. I think we'll be going into video a little bit, uh, probably going to like two podcasts a week. Um, there's some stuff that I can't quite announce yet uh, because it is in the works and I'm not going to be the one to to break the dam on that one. But yeah, there's some big stuff coming for now. Just go check out the podcast out of the blue and uh, we'll have those updates for you. But uh, appreciate you bringing me on, man. This was great. Uh, just so you guys know, uh, there's a video associated with this, I'm assuming. So you get to see Michael All Handsome Team looking like Joseph Gordon-Levitt out here. So uh, th this was a, a treat for me as well, my brother. Well, that's the first time I have ever been compared to him, but I will absolutely take it. Uh, you're welcome back on at any time. Hit me up. Uh, we'd be happy to have you. And as always, go blue. Go blue.